Section 33 of The Critique of Pure Reason The Critique of Pure Reason by Immanuel Kant Transcendental Doctrine of Elements Part 2nd Transcendental Logic Second Division Transcendental Dialectic Book 2 Of the Dialectical Procedure of Pure Reason Chapter 3 The Ideal of Pure Reason Sections 1 and 2. Section 1. Of the Ideal in General. We have seen that pure conceptions do not present objects to the mind, except under sensuous conditions, because the conditions of objective reality do not exist in these conceptions, which contain, in fact, nothing but the mere form of thought. They may, however, when applied to phenomena, be presented in concreto, for it is phenomena that present to them the materials for the formation of empirical conceptions, which are nothing more than concrete forms of the conceptions of the understanding. But ideas are still further removed from objective reality than categories, for no phenomenon can ever present them to the human mind in concreto. They contain a certain perfection, attainable by no possible empirical cognition, and they give to reason a systematic unity to which the unity of experience attempts to approximate, but can never completely attain. But still further removed than the idea from objective reality is the ideal, by which term I understand the idea, not in concreto but in individuo, as an individual thing, determinable or determined by the idea alone. The idea of humanity in its complete perfection supposes not only the advancement of all the powers and faculties which constitute our conception of human nature to a complete attainment of their final aims, but also everything which is requisite for the complete determination of the idea. For of all contradictory predicates, only one can conform with the idea of the perfect man. What I have termed an ideal was in Plato's philosophy an idea of the divine mind, an individual object present to its pure intuition, the most perfect of every kind of possible beings, and the archetype of all phenomenal existences. Without rising to these speculative heights, we are bound to confess that human reason contains not only ideas, but ideals, which possess, not like those of Plato, creative but certainly practical power, as regulative principles and form the basis of the perfectibility of certain actions. Moral conceptions are not perfectly pure conceptions of reason, because an empirical element of pleasure or pain lies at the foundation of them. In relation, however, to the principle, whereby reason sets bounds to a freedom which is in itself without law, and consequently, when we attend merely to their form, they may be considered as pure conceptions of reason. Virtue and wisdom in their perfect purity are ideas. But the wise man of the Stoics is an ideal, that is to say, a human being existing only in thought and in complete conformity with the idea of wisdom. As the idea provides a rule, so the ideal serves as an archetype for the perfect and complete determination of the copy. Thus the conduct of this wise and divine man serves us as a standard of action, with which we may compare and judge ourselves, which may help us to reform ourselves, 
although the perfection it demands can never be attained by us. Although we cannot concede objective reality to these ideals, they are not to be considered as chimeras. On the contrary, they provide reason with a standard, which enables it to estimate, by comparison, the degree of incompleteness in the objects presented to it. But to aim at realizing the ideal in an example in the world of experience, to describe, for instance, the character of the perfectly wise man in a romance, is impracticable. Nay, more, there is something absurd in the attempt, and the result must be little edifying, as the natural limitations, which are continually breaking in upon the perfection and completeness of the idea, destroy the illusion in the story, and throw an air of suspicion even on what is good in the idea, which hence appears fictitious and unreal. Such is the constitution of the ideal of reason, which is always based upon determinate conceptions, and serves as a rule and a model for limitation or of criticism. Very different is the nature of the ideals of the imagination. Of these it is impossible to present an intelligible conception. They are a kind of monogram, drawn according to no determinate rule, and forming rather a vague picture, the production of many diverse experiences, than a determinate image. Such are the ideals which painters and physiognomists profess to have in their minds, and which can serve neither as a model for production nor as a standard for appreciation. They may be termed, though improperly, sensuous ideals, as they are declared to be models of certain possible empirical intuitions. They cannot, however, furnish rules or standards for explanation or examination. In its ideals, reason aims at complete and perfect determination according to a priori rules, and hence it cogitates an object which must be completely determinable in conformity with principles, although all empirical conditions are absent, and the conception of the object is on this account transcendent. Section 2. Of the Transcendental Ideal. Prototypon Transcendentale. Every conception is, in relation to that which is not contained in it, undetermined and subject to the principle of determinability. This principle is that, of every two contradictorily opposed predicates, only one can belong to a conception. It is a purely logical principle, itself based upon the principle of contradiction, inasmuch as it makes complete abstraction of the content and attends merely to the logical form of the cognition. But again, everything, as regards its possibility, is also subject to the principle of complete determination, according to which one of all the possible contradictory predicates of things must belong to it. This principle is not based merely upon that of contradiction, for, in addition to the relation between two contradictory predicates, it regards everything as standing in a relation to the sum of possibilities, as the sum total of all predicates of things, and, while presupposing this sum as an a priori condition, presents to the mind everything as receiving the possibility of its individual existence from the relation it bears to, and the share it possesses in, the aforesaid sum of possibilities. Footnote 64. Thus this principle declares everything to possess a relation to a common correlate, the sum total of possibility, which, if discovered to exist in the idea of one individual thing, would establish the affinity of all possible things 
from the identity of the ground of their complete determination. The determinability of every conception is subordinate to the universality, algemenheit universalitis, of the principle of excluded middle, the determination of a thing to the totality, allheit universitis, of all possible predicates. End footnote. The principle of complete determination relates to the content and not to the logical form. It is the principle of the synthesis of all the predicates which are required to constitute the complete conception of a thing, and not a mere principle analytical representation, which announces that one of two contradictory predicates must belong to a conception. It contains, moreover, a transcendental presupposition, that, namely, of the material for all possibility, which must contain a priori the data for this or that particular possibility. The proposition, everything which exists is completely determined, means not only that one of every pair of given contradictory attributes, but that one of all possible attributes, is always predicable of the thing. In it the predicates are not merely compared logically with each other, but the thing itself is transcendentally compared with the sum total of all possible predicates. The proposition is equivalent to saying, to attain to a complete knowledge of a thing, it is necessary to possess a knowledge of everything that is possible, and to determine it thereby in a positive or negative manner. The conception of complete determination is consequently a conception which cannot be presented in its totality in concreto, and is therefore based upon an idea, which has its seat in the reason. The faculty which prescribes to the understanding the laws of its harmonious and perfect exercise now, although this idea of the sum total of all possibility, in so far as it forms the condition of the complete determination of everything, is itself undetermined in relation to the predicates which may constitute this sum total, and we cogitate in it merely the sum total of all possible predicates, we nevertheless find, upon closer examination, that this idea, as a primitive conception of the mind, excludes a large number of predicates those deduced, and those irreconcilable with others, and that it is evolved as a conception completely determined a priori. Thus it becomes the conception of an individual object, which is completely determined by and through the mere idea, and must consequently be termed an ideal of pure reason. When we consider all possible predicates, not merely logically, but transcendentally, that is to say, with reference to the content which may be cogitated as existing in them a priori, we shall find that some indicate a being, others merely a non-being. The logical negation expressed in the word not does not properly belong to a conception, but only to the relation of one conception to another in a judgment, and is consequently quite insufficient to present to the mind the content of a conception. The expression not mortal does not indicate that a non-being is cogitated in the object. It does not concern the content at all. A transcendental negation, on the contrary, indicates non-being in itself, and is opposed to transcendental affirmation, the conception of which of itself expresses a being. Hence, this affirmation indicates a reality, 
because in and through it objects are considered to be something, to be things, while the opposite negation, on the other hand, indicates a mere want, or privation, or absence, and, where such negations alone are attached to a representation, the non-existence of anything corresponding to the representation. Now, a negation cannot be cogitated as determined, without cogitating at the same time the opposite affirmation. The man born blind has not the least notion of darkness, because he has none of the light. The vagabond knows nothing of poverty, because he has never known what it is to be in comfort. Footnote 65 The investigations and calculations of astronomers have taught us much that is wonderful, but the most important lesson we have received from them is the discovery of the abyss of our ignorance in relation to the universe, an ignorance the magnitude of which reason, without the information thus derived, could never have conceived. This discovery of our deficiencies must produce a great change in the determination of the aims of human reason. End footnote. The ignorant man has no conception of his ignorance because he has no conception of knowledge. All conceptions of negatives are accordingly derived or deduced conceptions, and realities contain the data and, so to speak, the material or transcendental content of the possibility and complete determination of all things. If, therefore, a transcendental substratum lies at the foundation of the complete determination of things, a substratum which is to form the fund from which all possible predicates of things are to be supplied, this substratum cannot be anything else than the idea of a sum total of reality. Omnitudo realitatis. In this view, negations are nothing but limitations, a term which could not, with propriety, be applied to them, if the unlimited, the all, did not form the true basis of our conception. This conception of a sum total of reality is the conception of a thing in itself, regarded as completely determined, and the conception of an ens realissimum is the conception of an individual being, inasmuch as it is determined by that predicate of all possible contradictory predicates, which indicates and belongs to being. It is, therefore, a transcendental ideal which forms the basis of the complete determination of everything that exists, and is the highest material condition of its possibility, a condition on which must rest the cogitation of all objects with respect to their content. Nay, more, this ideal is the only proper ideal of which the human mind is capable, because in this case alone a general conception of a thing is completely determined by and through itself, and cognized as the representation of an individuum. The logical determination of a conception is based upon a disjunctive syllogism, the major of which contains the logical division of the extent of a general conception. The minor limits this extent to a certain part, while the conclusion determines the conception by this part. The general conception of a reality cannot be divided a priori, because, without the aid of experience, we cannot know any determinate kinds of reality, standing under the former as the genus. The transcendental principle of the complete determination of all things is therefore merely the representation of the sum total of all reality. 
It is not a conception which is the genus of all predicates under itself, but one which comprehends them all within itself. The complete determination of a thing is consequently based upon the limitation of this total of reality. So much being predicated of the thing, while all that remains over is excluded. A procedure which is in exact agreement with that of the disjunctive syllogism and the determination of the objects in the conclusion by one of the members of the division. It follows that reason, in laying the transcendental ideal at the foundation of its determination of all possible things, takes a course in exact analogy with that which it pursues in disjunctive syllogisms. A proposition which formed the basis of the systematic division of all transcendental ideas, according to which they are produced in complete parallelism with the three modes of syllogistic reasoning employed by the human mind. It is self-evident that reason, in cogitating the necessary complete determination of things, does not presuppose the existence of a being corresponding to its ideal, but merely the idea of the ideal, for the purpose of deducing from the unconditional totality of complete determination. The ideal is therefore the prototype of all things, which, as defective copies, ectipa, receive from it the material of their possibility, and approximate to it more or less, though it is impossible that they can ever attain to its perfection. The possibility of things must therefore be regarded as derived, except that of the thing which contains in itself all reality, which must be considered to be primitive and original. For all negations, and they are the only predicates by means of which all other things can be distinguished from the ant's realismum, are mere limitations of a greater and a higher, nay, the highest, reality. And they consequently presuppose this reality, and are, as regards their content, derived from it. The manifold nature of things is only an infinitely various mode of limiting the conception of the highest reality, which is their common substratum, just as all figures are possible only as different modes of limiting infinite space. The object of the ideal of reason, an object existing only in reason itself, is also termed the primal being, ans originarium, as having no existence superior to him, the supreme being, ans summum, and as being the condition of all other beings, which rank under it, the being of all beings, ans antium. But none of these terms indicate the objective relation of an actually existing object to other things, but merely that of an idea to conceptions, and our investigations into this subject still leave us in perfect uncertainty with regard to the existence of this being. A primal being cannot be said to consist of many other beings with an existence which is derivative, for the latter presuppose the former, and therefore cannot be constitutive parts of it. It follows that the ideal of the primal being must be cogitated as simple. The deduction of the possibility of all other things from this primal being cannot, strictly speaking, be considered as a limitation, or as a kind of division of its reality, for this would be regarding the primal being as a mere aggregate, which has been shown to be impossible, although it was so represented in our first rough sketch. 
the highest reality must be regarded rather as the ground than as the sum total of the possibility of all things and the manifold nature of things be based not upon the limitation of the primal being itself but upon the complete series of effects which flow from it and thus all our powers of sense as well as all phenomenal reality may be with propriety regarded as belonging to this series of effects while they could not have formed parts of the idea considered as an aggregate pursuing this track and hypothesizing this idea we shall find ourselves authorized to determine our notion of the supreme being by means of the mere conception of a highest reality as one simple all-sufficient eternal and so on in one word to determine it in its unconditioned completeness by the aid of every possible predicate the conception of such a being is the conception of god in its transcendental sense and thus the idea of pure reason is the object matter of a transcendental theology but by such an employment of the transcendental idea we should be overstepping the limits of its validity and purpose for reason placed it as the conception of all reality at the basis of the complete determination of things without requiring that this conception be regarded as the conception of an objective existence such an existence would be purely fictitious and the hypothesizing of the content of the idea into an ideal as an individual being is a step perfectly unauthorized nay more we are not even called upon to assume the possibility of such an hypothesis as none of the deductions drawn from such an ideal would affect the complete determination of things in general for the sake of which alone is the idea necessary it is not sufficient to circumscribe the procedure and the dialectic of reason we must also endeavour to discover the sources of this dialectic that we may have it in our power to give a rational explanation of this illusion as a phenomenon of the human mind for the ideal of which we are at present speaking is based not upon an arbitrary but upon a natural idea the question hence arises how happens it that reason regards the possibility of all things as deduced from a single possibility that to wit of the highest reality and presupposes this as existing in an individual and primal being the answer is ready it is at once presented by the procedure of transcendental analytic the possibility of sensuous objects is a relation of these objects to thought in which something the empirical form may be cogitated a priori while that which constitutes the matter the reality of the phenomenon that element which corresponds to sensation must be given from without as otherwise it could not even be cogitated by nor could its possibility be presentable to the mind now a sensuous object is completely determined when it has been compared with all phenomenal predicates and represented by means of these either positively or negatively but as that which constitutes the thing itself the real in a phenomenon must be given and that in which the real of all phenomena is given is experience one soul and all embracing the material of the possibility of all sensuous objects must be presupposed as given in a whole and it is upon the limitation of this whole that the possibility of all empirical objects 
their distinction from each other and their complete determination, are based. Now, no other objects are presented to us besides sensuous objects, and these can be given only in connection with a possible experience. It follows that a thing is not an object to us unless it presupposes the whole or sum total of empirical reality as the condition of its possibility. Now, a natural illusion leads us to consider this principle, which is valid only of sensuous objects, as valid with regards to things in general. And thus, we are induced to hold the empirical principle of our conceptions of the possibility of things, as phenomena, by leaving out this limitative condition to be a transcendental principle of the possibility of things in general. We proceed afterwards to hypothesize this idea of the sum total of all reality, by changing the distributive unity of the empirical exercise of the understanding into the collective unity of an empirical whole, a dialectical illusion, and by cogitating this whole or sum of experience as an individual thing, containing in itself all empirical reality. This individual thing or being is then, by means of the above-mentioned transcendental surreption, substituted for our notion of a thing which stands at the head of the possibility of all things, the real conditions of whose complete determination it presents. Footnote 66 This ideal of the ens realissimum, although merely a mental representation, is first objectivized, that is, has an objective existence attributed to it, then hypostasized, and finally by the natural progress of reason to the completion of unity personified, as we shall show presently. For the regulative unity of experience is not based upon phenomena themselves, but upon the connection of the variety of phenomena by the understanding in a consciousness, and thus the unity of the supreme reality and the complete determinability of all things seem to reside in a supreme understanding and consequently in a conscious intelligence. End footnote. End of section.